and welcome. My name is Emma. And I'm Jolene. Two costume designers whose shared love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters, costumes, and their designers that are simply to die for. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for tuning into season two. We hope you enjoyed our first little episode um, that we did where Jolene interviewed me. And of course, we had to do the little Uno reverse, had to return the favor. Today, I'm going to be interviewing Jolene. Yay! Thanks <laughs> for having me, Emma. I'm so excited oh to Oh my be goodness. Here. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you. Um, yeah, we just, you know, want you guys to get to know us a little more intimately. We thought it'd be fun, good way to kind of intro ourselves back into the realm of season two. And yeah, give you guys an opportunity to just um, get to know us more and perhaps it'll spark more questions or maybe you'll be like, oh, Jolene really likes this particular subgenre. You guys should do more of that. You know, why not? Or maybe you'll just be like, cool, that's interesting and not have questions, which you totally don't have to have. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, just to hop right into it, Jolene, first of all, where are you from and where are you based out of now? Yeah, so I am from Long Island, New York, and I am based out of Queens, New York, so not very far. It's still on Long Island, even though it's yeah. not. It is a borough of New York, but it is still on the landmass of Long Island. Um, but I grew up east of Queens, mm. but I've lived like a thousand different places. <laughs> <laughs> so do you feel like living in New York, kind of growing up there has impacted um, your interests? Like, where did you get your start? How did you find costume design uh, as an interest, as uh, something that, you know, sparked intrigue for you that you wanted to follow? Do you feel like the places you've lived has impacted that in any way? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I mean, I, well, I grew up not knowing I was going to be a costume designer. Um, I, but I was always a theater kid. I've been Mm -hmm. seeing, I was very spoiled and very fortunate to see Broadway shows with like original cast members in my Mm. youth because when I was younger yeah Broadway shows weren't too expensive which was really lovely so like I've seen Phantom of the Opera a few times from the orchestra and like spam a lot from the orchestra and Mm -hmm. I was just very very fortunate to um, live so close to New York City and have this cultural center Um, I started out as an actor um, because I saw Wicked when I was 10 and I was like original cast like pinching myself that oh my I got God. to see Christian Chenoweth and Joel Gray and and all of them and she came out in her bubble as Glinda and I was in awe and I was like that's what I want to do like that's what I want to do I want to tell stories and mm-hmm. and when I was younger I it was as an actor I wanted to tell stories as an actor and I went to acting class and um, I worked in professional theaters as a kid and did my high school plays and um, went to college for for acting. And then I took a sewing class and I fell in love with making clothing. And I mean, I had always kind of dabbled in sewing. My grandmother was a seamstress. My mother made my Halloween costumes every year. There was just something about making clothing that I like, it, it just sparked something new in me. And also I will be honest that there was a lot of politics in like college acting programs and Mm -hmm. I -hmm. didn't get a lot of parts on stage and I I don't know if I'm a bad actor or not I don't I like to think that I'm 
probably not (laughs) as terrible as like they thought I was, but I just wasn't getting parts and I don't really sing. So I wasn't getting musicals, but I still wanted to work in theater. I wanted to be active and, and be a part of the process. So I started doing costuming. I started making, uh, finished my undergrad in costume construction, did a little bit of design in undergrad. And then, um, at the time I was with somebody who was also in theater and we were looking at grad schools. I didn't know if I wanted to go to grad school, but I applied and I got in and he also got in. So we were both like, well, theater's a really transient career path. We could be separated. So let's go to grad school together. Mm-hmm. And that's where I really learned design. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled with it for the first few semesters, I will say, but then by the end of my time in grad school, it started to click because I started getting fashion history classes and I had mm-hmm. an amazing fashion history teacher named Joan O'Cleary and she just kind of taught us the power of storytelling through clothing, through history. And I've always been fascinated with history. Like I always had this weird pop culture brain I would watch those. I love the seventies. I love the eighties shows on VH1. Oh yeah. So I had all this like really, yeah, I had all this really randomized knowledge about like the latter half of the 20th century pop culture when I was like seven years old, (laughs) like knowing that, you know, I would wear poodle skirts around the house and just know that like, oh, well those socks wouldn't go with those shoes. So I should have known that I would have been a costume designer. Also like when I was really young, um, I wanted to be a nurse and then I found out they didn't wear the World War II uniforms anymore. And I was like, oh, I don't want to be a nurse anymore. So like that should have <laughs> clued me in that I- I get like, it. Yeah, <laughs> where I was going to do something in costuming, but- um, My God. It's like yeah. me with like flight attendant. Yes. Like <laughs> the outfits used to be really cute. So cute. I mean, some of them are still really beautiful. Like if you see those like, um, what is it? Emirates Airlines. Oh like, Yeah. And like the Ralph Lauren collection through JetBlue and oh my gosh, some of them are gorgeous. That's a whole episode, honestly. <laughs> you know what? We sh- I mean, we should do Red Eye and then just talk, like have that be a segue into talking about um, attendance. Absolutely. Yeah. Because that's Perfect. a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So then I just, um, but so after grad school, I did need a break from theater. I will say that like yeah. grad school is grueling. If you've never been to grad school, I highly suggest waiting a few years and don't do it straight from undergrad because um, I spent a year of my life crying and really fun. It's, <laughs> it's a lot of like, and, and I was like 23 at the time. So I definitely hit my quarter life crisis a bit earlier because of grad school. So yeah. it was a lot of who am I as an artist? I don't know who I am. I don't know who my voice is. Um, and that's when I started working for Disney and, and theme parks was a nice break from theater because I got to do live entertainment. I got to be on a little bit of a permanent vacation in Florida, which was lovely. It was warm all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I still got to like play and have fun. But then it got to a point in Disney where I was like, I need to go back to theater because it's somebody else's IP that I'm working with. It's not my own. Mm-hmm. And for some people, like, Disney is a great place to work. But for me, it just wasn't the place to work. And I got back into theater and then subsequently moved back to New York and then through film, you know, now, and I'm here today, but there was always like two sides of me, like the history side and the costuming side. And it was like, how do I blend these, especially with horror, like adding horror into the mix? Like, how do I blend all this together? But yeah. So how did you segue from theater into like film and TV? And are there any skills that 
you learn because they're very different. And I'd, yeah. I'd love to hear about just that kind of difference. And if you found that they've helped each other, like the two experiences mm -hmm. have helped each other be better because you, I would imagine, have a better understanding of like the ecosystem of costume design uh, in general. Yeah, I mean, they're different, but they're similar. So um, theater taught me how to work in controlled organized chaos because you're running a show, right? You're like, you're there in the theater live. So you're, you mm. have to be on it. You have to think on your feet. You have to solve problems quickly. I was a dresser for shows off Broadway and in regional theaters for years. And if something breaks or something happens, like in that moment, you have to quickly recover. And yeah. um, so that has helped me a lot. It's helped me with organization. It's mm -hmm. helped me um, with a lot of like business management stuff as well, because I've, I'm, I'm, I'm very much a person and I do this on set as well. And I watch what everybody else is doing when I'm, when my work is done or my work is on a pause. So I can learn from other people and figure out the business of what I'm in and, and learn what other people do. Um, mm -hmm. Film is much more nuanced than theater because nuanced in a different way, because you don't have to project to the back of the theater. So your costumes don't have to be as bold. Your everything doesn't have mm. to be as loud. And so, and cause you're looking at something through a monitor. So when I design for film, I'm thinking on a little bit of a smaller scale. And actually my first theater production back after I did film for a while, like cons just consistent film for a while, I was staring at my costumes on stage and I was like, oh, these look so bad because I've been watching everything through a monitor for a year and a half and mm. everything just looks oh really goodness, bland. Yeah. So I had to go back and rethink and like restructure everything. So it's definitely a shifting of my brain. I got into film. I've always wanted to work in film. Um, I love theater. I do. It's something that is just kind of a part of my life at this point, but I've always looked to like I, like I would sit in classes and people would be like, oh, this play, this musical really changed my life. And the Wicked was that for me on a very small scale, but like filmmakers like Alfred Hitchcock, filmmakers like Richard Linklater, these were the people that I was admiring and looking to. Mm -hmm. And I never really had a lot of like theater people that I was admiring. It was always film people. So film is always a world that I wanted to live in. Um, and it was honestly out of necessity because pandemic happened and I had no work. I was working off Broadway and I was working as a milliner and I was like, crap, I have no work. And then after like six months, I saw that film was coming back and I threw like a, a huge like praise Hecate. I found the last drive-in and like found Justin and got in. And that was the catalyst that kind of pushed me. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, it was, it was honestly out of necessity, but that's why I was saying in our last episode, you know, university programs really should teach both sides because absolutely all of my f friends that I, well, now I have film friends up here, but a lot of my friends from college that live in New York, they're all theater people. And when pandemic hit, it was really hard for the theater community mm. here. I mean, that is 80% mm -hmm. of New York's income is live theatrical entertainment. And it wasn't being recognized. It wasn't being taken care of. We weren't getting, you know, money. We weren't getting help or aid. And also my friends weren't getting work because they were actors or, or designers that had only done theater. And it was 
kind of crippling them in a way that they didn't know how to get into film. They didn't have contacts to get into the film industry. So I really think if, if you choose to go a collegiate route, it really should be both sides of that coin because you're, and then you get to learn and then you don't have an experience like me sitting in the theater being like, oh crap, my costumes look like shit because, yeah. you know, like you, you can retrain your brain to do both. I think that's so important and it makes you more marketable as a business person because that's what we are. We're freelance business people. Absolutely. So, yeah. yeah. We kind of touched on that too in our last episode where we're talking about like building skills yeah um and that collegiate programs aren't always going to offer that or if even if they do sometimes that's not even accessible for people right like I always encourage people to um do a couple like especially in your early 20s learn a few different skills like yes that's why I love bouncing around like like I I wanted to have an early understanding of like the film ecosystem mm-hmm. um, because it helps you do the other jobs better. Like it helps you yeah. do your job better when you understand how different things work. And so that's really interesting to, especially on that kind of like micro or macro level of like yeah. how you're actually viewing the costume, whether it's yeah. on a stage or whether you're just watching it on a monitor, it's completely different mediums. And it's so interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've done like every job in costuming too. So it like, yeah. like you were saying, I mean, like, it's good to have every angle. And so I've dressed, I've made clothing, I've designed shows, I've run shows. So like, I know mm-hmm every job. And I think that that has helped me and made me a better designer because I can Mm -hmm. speak to costume shop managers. I can speak to milliners. I can speak to dyers and I speak their language. And a lot of designers don't have that language, unfortunately, because again, there are these concentrations in collegiate worlds where, and I'm not shitting on colleges. My college is great, but go, Mm -hmm. go Chanticleers, Coastal Carolina. (laughs) Um, But you know, you get like, you go into um, what a conservatory track and that's that's all you're doing you're not doing anything else so like mm-hmm. you know it can it be just, limiting right right capacity. like I've stage managed I've done props I've painted I'm ADing a film coming up like I think it's so important to have a wide network of of marketability you know at the end mm-hmm. of the day you have to pay your rent you have to feed yourself absolutely but also do what you love I mean I'm not like there's nothing wrong with serving food. There's nothing wrong with being a barista if those are the things that you want to do. But if you want to have a job in this industry and stay in this industry, do multiple things, you know? Mm-hmm. Like you, like what you do, you're a producer, you're a writer, you're you, a direct, you costume. Like it's so valuable to have these jobs. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it helps you, especially because with costume design specifically, when you're in the role of like costume designer, you're often running a team yeah um you're a manager. sometimes sometimes it's just you and you're managing right. yourself <laughs> most and of the time that's hard <laughs> yeah um but if you're lucky enough to have team members knowing yeah. what they are working with and speaking their language as you said can be so valuable um well I'd love to know more about your experience with the last drive-in because I know that a lot of our listeners are big fans of the last drive-in as am I um <laughs> you know, as is the horror community. It's such a, it's really a pinnacle of like a community center, I feel, for the horror community, for people of different 
interests in horror because there are so many people in our community. Tell us a little bit more about your experience and, um, you know, what, what you love about it, what you do on it. Yeah. Um, and I, w- I also want to touch on the, the community aspect first too, because mm-hmm. I've, I'm still seeing tweets and I, it's fine. People can have their opinions and you can not like the show and not like Joe Bob, not like Darcy. That's fine. Um, but I want to stress that the mutant fam and the community around the last drive-in is super inclusive and nobody is ever left out of the conversation. And when you look at him and when you actually listen to what he is talking about are two totally different things. And he speaks to the community at large. And if you saw our Christmas episode, he was talking about welcoming everybody into the community. And I think that's so powerful. And like you said, Emma, so many people are fans of this show and we show so many different films that it's such a diverse group of people for all different genre love, like subgenre lovers, right? Like we don't just do exploitation schlock films. A lot of them are low budget, mm-hmm. but a lot of them are like newer films. Like we're, you know, he branched out and he did a world premiere of Scare Package when that came out last, you know, a couple summers ago. Mm-hmm. You know, he he shows the classics. He shows foreign films. He did mm-hmm. Train to Busan last season, right? Because that and that's a newer film. So, um, yeah, I mean, I love my experience on the show. I mean, the the crew, we've all become a family um there's not many of us that work on the show so we're we all know each other really well and um I've gotten up close to a lot of my crew members on the show um and I mean we all live near each other too so that I think that helps oh yeah that's great but it's also the most creative and zany I will ever get to do in my design career because Mm. I do some weird stuff for sure. It's horror. Like we do wacky things. And then for some Mm -hmm. reason, I also get Christmas musicals. So I do wacky things (laughs) constantly. Yeah. But there's just something so very different about what we do on the last drive-in. Like, you know, like this Spookies musical, like the, the music video that we did where we were just running around downtown Brooklyn and shooting under the BQE and you know, like Mm -hmm. John Brennan was in a fart monster costume. Like I got like, when I was tasked with that, Austin being like, hey, I need you to make a fart monster. Like when in my life am I ever going to have to make a <laughs> fart monster again? Like that. Your time is now. Right. And you know, <laughs> Ashley Thomas did incredible work with that mask. That mask was made out of plastic bags. She took plastic shopping bags and like worked her amazing makeup magic on top of that bag. And it came together with the costuming so well and and then I think that's another thing that I love about the show is that we all work so well together. It helps that we're friends now, but even before we became friends, we all just spoke the same language again and we all work together so well and love showcasing these weird zany movies. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I enjoy styling Joe Bob. So a lot of people think that I, I don't take care of like the specifics of his costumes or Darcy's costumes. They do their own cause. She does her own cosplays. Um, I assist when she needs me and um, Joe Bob too. Like he has his own wardrobe because he's been doing this for 40 years. Like he knows what works. He knows the character of Joe Bob Briggs really well. And you know, he owns, he owns them. So, mm-hmm. you know, what Austin and I do together is we come up with a look per episode and what I've started to do, right? This is my costume design brain symbolism. Um, (laughs) 
I've started to kind of, you know, like take bits of whatever movie we're doing and kind of matchy match colors, like to maybe Mm -hmm. the movie poster or textures in the film or um, different things that I see from these films. And some of these films I, I haven't seen because they're really hard to find. So I'll go with a movie poster and I'll say, okay, these are the colors of the movie poster. So let's match the bolo and the shirt with that. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a lot of fun and they're wonderful people. My gosh, they're so wonderful. (laughs) Uh, I've honestly only heard lovely things from you as far as, you know, your experience on this. And it's so great that, you know, there's so much value in it, honestly, being a small team, you're all able to kind of sync up really well. Yeah. But it really helps that, like, no matter the size of your team, you almost have to have like that same passion uh, for what you're doing to be able to sync up like that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and really like, Justin and Matt Mandarides, Justin Martell and Matt Mandarides, who are, are really the helm of our ship. They're our two producers. They love this style of filmmaking and they have such like a robust catalog of film knowledge. It's incredible. Like, you know, Justin and, and Amy and George and I, we all hang out and we get dinner sometimes. And like the films that he talks about, like I just sit and like listen to him because like, he just has such a robust film knowledge. It's yeah, it's incredible to and and that's how we expand our knowledge as filmmakers, as fans of the genre. Like, you know, it, and Shutter does such a good job at allowing these films to come out of like the the deep crevices of like moldy caves that they sit in because some of these films mm-hmm. are so really they're, they're they're just so hard to find. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, so it's it's a lot of fun and yeah. There's a, there is definitely a passion from everybody involved, you know, um, make, making this show. I think it comes through. Like, passionate authenticity always comes through. And if it didn't, it wouldn't be kind of this hub for yeah everyone in the horror community. Yeah. Um. So were you always interested in horror filmmaking? Or were you kind of like a fan and then it like developed and, you know, like it, like where, how did horror enter your sphere as a designer? I have always loved horror. um, But unlike you, Emma, I didn't have any friends growing up that I could go see horror movies with. Like I had one or two guy friends that liked horror, but come to think of it, like we never went to the movies to go see horror together. Mm. Like we would watch weird movies that are in each other's houses, but like I never went to the movies to go see them. So I was, and they didn't go to my school. Like we went to different schools. So in my school- I was really the only one that liked horror. I didn't know anybody else who liked horror. So I really just watched them with my dad growing up. And mm-hmm. he taught me how to laugh at them. I was a big scaredy cat. So scared of Jurassic Park. Like seven-year-old <laughs> me thought I was going to get eaten by a dinosaur. I- <laughs> the fear was real. <laughs> the fear Absolutely. was so real for so long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I I didn't know that I wanted to work in horror. I just loved mm-hmm. horror always loved Halloween, anything spooky, loved the monsters growing up, loved the Adams family growing up. Halloween obviously was my favorite holiday. It involved a costume. I was there. <laughs> anything <laughs> exactly. that involved a costume, I was, I was there. Um, and then I was like, nine or 10. And my mom and I were watching the travel channel and there was a show about behind the scenes for Halloween Horror Nights. And this is the first time I had ever heard about this event. Oh my gosh, I think I remember that. Yeah, and they were doing oh. scary tales that year. And I loved the idea of warping because I loved 
Cinderella and I loved fairy tales growing up. Yeah. I loved the idea of warping fairy tales. And mm-hmm. we had this event. Um, I don't know if the Girl Scout troops out by you did this, but we had this event called the, um, I think it was just the Girl Scout Haunted Trail. And we would take over a, um, like our their summer camp mm-hmm. and throughout the different campsites, the, each Girl Scout troop would do a house. And I, the first year I went, I cried. Like I was so scared. And there, it wasn't anything scary that set me off. It was like a gorilla that followed our group. It was like a dad in a gorilla costume that followed our group. Amazing. But I just was, but I was so intrigued that I was so scared and I wanted to be a part of that. And I, my troop never did a house because they couldn't get their shit together. I was so mad. <laughs> but I always wanted to do Revenge. like scary tales. I always wanted to have like Cinderella with glass broken in her feet and like Ariel yeah. eaten by a shark and like Cinderella, like, I mean, Snow White like choking on an apple. So I, anyway, saw this show, wanted to like figure out how to get to Horror Nights. Mm-hmm. Fast forward, I was working for Disney not universal. And I was like, how did we get here? I wanted to make monsters. Um, but have always just wanted to work for Horror Nights and, but never still understood that. Um, and I worked for Haunted Houses growing up. And, and I think that was like the theatrical side of me because it's still yeah, entertainment. It's a production. Yeah. yeah. And um, oh, I, I loved it. I just loved feeling viscerally scared in that way. And, um, mm-hmm. but then I got into this vintage world and like started do, yeah. same it's such a right. strange diversion that we both had yeah I was like okay pivot 1940s we're gonna do swing dancing and we're gonna pin up model so like former life I was a pinup model for a little bit um but and I was like so but I really loved Halloween Horror Nights because I lived in Orlando so I was going mm-hmm. and I was like how do I blend these two sides of myself and that's how I started my blog because I was like well actually th- this does work Mm -hmm. Um, It took me like four years to get there, but I was like, wow, okay, this, this actually does work. And then I was like, no, I need to, I need to be working in horror. I think it just kind of clicked like during my like mid twenties, excuse me, when I was living in Orlando and I was like, okay, I need to be making horror films. And I Mm -hmm. like, occasionally I'll go back and reread like old diary entries from like the day, like if I'm writing in, in, you know, like today I'll go back on, you know, April 5th you know, a couple years ago and like read what my entry yeah. was. And, and one of them was like, and I remember distinctly where I was when I wrote this. I was sitting on the floor in my apartment. I had just hit rock bottom in my life. And I remember just writing being like, I want to make films. I need to make films. Horror. I need to make horror films. And so that's kind of a long-winded story. That's yeah. kind of how I got into, <laughs> into <Aww>. horror. <laughs> that's so cute. As you were saying all of that, I really just made me kind of like reflect on how one how we both truly have had so many like how niche our interests are and how funny it is that they align yes (laughs) and how like just how there are so many little moments that led us to these places that we're in and how it's like I mean that's really what this podcast is isn't it it's a colliding of all of our interests like horror fashion history all intermingling and interacting with each other mm-hmm. um in a you know it, it's such a weirdly specific way yeah uh and it's so funny that you mentioned halloween i i never think about this even though literally my birthday's on halloween but i literally don't think about how that's like literally <laughs> everything we do in a holiday yeah yeah <laughs> like everything we're interested in is actually just 
Halloween. And it's the most fun holiday too. Like I always, my mother is, she's getting there. She's not a huge, she doesn't watch horror movies. They scare her. She likes spookies. She was very invested in spookies. (laughs) Um, mostly because she was texting me about like, your dad had this members only jacket in the eighties and stuff like that. Oh it was very God. cute. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 So she always had these like really cutesy. She loves like those little pudgy, like ghosts and pumpkin characters. Mm-hmm. And I always, when I was little was like, can we just have spookier decorations? And she was like, no, like I really just, I love the cute stuff. It's the fall stuff. And I was always like, no, I want it to be spookier. <laughs> yes. So you love 80s slashers like I know this about you (laughs) you would consider that from what I gather your favorite subgenre or decade if you will Mm -hmm. what do you love about it the most just like the camp yeah I I love the camp about it I love I love the fact that we get a final girl I think the the iconography of a final girl was so important to my life and shaping my young adulthood into adulthood Mm -hmm. um the idea of like a woman who's very, who's feminine, who, I mean, and and is some, and but like plays on both sides, like has this masculine and feminine side to her, which I think I have both of those, even though outwardly I dress hyper feminine, um, Mm -hmm. where she has the strength of a man. She has the outward appearance of this pink bubblegum world. They were usually brunette. So I think that's another thing too. I'm a brunette and Mm -hmm. they just kicked ass and they like, triumph over evil that was a super powerful message to me and I think through there is where I found all those campy plus the kills are so much fun the more blood the the more creativity that's why I like the Nightmare on Elm Street series is like it's one of the best yeah I will admit that like the script wise the other movies aren't as good obviously as that first one and Freddie isn't as scary he's just a wisecracker but he's goofy oh he's so goofy but I loved to watch how inventive I think that's why he's my favorite slasher because I loved to see how inventively he could kill somebody he wasn't Mm. just stabbing them he wasn't just like chopping people up it was I'm gonna turn you into a bug and I'm gonna break your arms and I'm gonna squish you in a roach motel or I'm gonna feed you food (laughs) until you like die like that is so creative (laughs) it's yeah I mean horror is such an insane landscape for creativity um and beyond pushing the limits, like you can go really messed up to like really ridiculous and like yes. slapstick even. Yes. Um, and just the range that horror has is so fascinating to me. Um, I'm curious, you know, when you talk about final girls, how do you, you know, as a woman, as a horror lover, view women's place in horror and how it's evolved is there anything that you wish was different or do you feel like um you know like what what has changed and what hasn't in your opinion that you would like to see so I think first and foremost like horror has been a very I feel a very women positive genre despite the fact Mm -hmm. that there is exploitation and all of these other things that we talked about last week within your episode totally So like, there's a really good base. Like horror is the only genre where the story is the viewpoint of the woman Mm -hmm. and, and men are tasked to empathize with her and they do it willingly. So, so to say that in other genres, oh, men don't want to watch romance movies or men don't want to watch this. It's like, I think they would, like, you're not giving them enough credit. I don't, 
you know, like they watch horror movies and have no issue empathizing with Ripley, empathizing with Nancy. Like they do it all the time. It's just in a different sphere. I think mm. mm-hmm. so I don't watch a lot of exploitation films because I, they, they make me uncomfortable. I mean, you and I've talked about this. Like that's the side of feminism that I'm still, it's something that I'm actively working on the idea of like women using um, nudity in their body as a symbol of power. And I, and I know that for a lot of women that it is, it isn't personally, it isn't for me. I still feel like it's under the male gaze, but I, as a feminist have no right to tell a woman that she can't do that, you know? So like, that's where, so I think there's, I think how we do exploitation films, like you were saying in your interview and like where the gaze is coming from, it, that's the new shift. That's where the change needs totally. to be. You know, like yeah. I watched Titan, which is a movie directed and written by a woman. And I didn't feel, and there's a lot of nudity. I didn't feel like it was creepy or gazy, mm-hmm. you know, like I, it depends. It's so on, nuanced. Right. So I, I think it, depending who's telling the story, how they're telling the story, how the woman is used, like you were saying in your episode, like what are the complexities of this character? Does she have layers or is she just arm candy? So I think that's where the genre needs to progress. But I mean, we can make that argument for all film genres is that that's where it needs to progress. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to the other side of film, our kind of back end of being costume Mm -hmm. designers, is there anything that you wish was different about how you know, you are viewed as a costume designer in the workplace. Yeah. Um, let me just pull out my soapbox. I'm going to stand on top of it right now. Um, <laughs> I can see Jolene right now. She's standing on a soapbox. Um, <laughs> it's an organic soapbox. So yes, no, <laughs> don't worry. Um, I, I just think that, I mean, that was one of our goals with this podcast was to be viewed as viable contributors to the genre to filmmaking at large um Mm -hmm. we aren't just period films we are and and it's not just shopping there is so much more that goes into costuming that a lot of people don't see and I think people are starting to recognize thankfully Mm -hmm. Um, but there's still a long way to go because you know you read those statistics and it's still not a requirement on set to hire a costume designer and that's a load of bullshit like that I mean, you have people going into this as a career and you're telling them that, okay, well, there's no guarantee that you're going to get a job because there's, you're not required on set. When in actuality, you can tell when a movie hasn't been costumed by a designer and it falls flat there. It just doesn't feel like there are any choices because you have somebody making those choices who's doing six other things. And that's no yeah. fault on them because, you know, maybe the budget was tight or something, but also like, it shouldn't be an excuse. Like you should make room in your budget for costumes in that mm-hmm. way. So um, I, yeah, I mean, and in my personal life, I've definitely been addressed as that wardrobe chick or princess or these different uh-huh. titles that make me very uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, actually I'm a woman and I'm a valuable part of this industry. So please take yeah. me seriously. You know, I was told in school I should lower the register of my voice because I would sound more professional and people would take me more seriously. Or you shouldn't smile so much. You shouldn't be so cutesy because people won't take you seriously. And I find that's BS. I absolutely find that's BS. I couldn't agree more. (laughs) Um, Okay. If you could, this is a delicious final question. Oh, I love it. Costume, any, like a, 
a period, a degree of style? Like, is it camp? Is it serious? Mm. A genre? What is your dream concoction of a film to costume? Ooh, oh my goodness. That's such a hard question. Um, my dream concoction of a film. I think it's definitely something, I would want something period because the research to me is half the fun of Mm. of costume. Absolutely. Oh my and gosh. Yeah. as a seamstress, like every Halloween, I'll take a different time period just so I can have a new sewing project and like try out a different technique. Mm. So I mm-hmm. love, I would love something like, like, um, like I, maybe it's because I'm in the throes of Outlander right now, but like French court is coming to mind. Like mm. maybe a mystery, not, not a vampire film. Cause that was done in an interview with a vampire, but maybe like you know, kind of like a Pride and Prejudice and Zombies thing where it's like a little bit of a bloody slasher, but done in like French court, yeah. you know, 18th century French court society. I think that would be fun. Oh my goodness. Yes. Like a bloody Marie Antoinette. <gasps> Imagine if Sofia Coppola's Marie Antoinette was a horror mm. movie. It would be... <sighs> be so good. Because that's what music, you need to do. I that's yeah. I think that's where my brain went because like mm-hmm. when I think of color, when I think of all that stuff and it is it's a I don't actually own that movie surprisingly enough and I love that movie it's so it's good something it's a movie that and it but it's not my favorite surprisingly but it's somewhere my brain always goes when we talk about costumes well I think that even if like on a surface level just if you look at the costume design it's just such phenomenal it's so costume good. design on oh its God, own yeah. um you know that's just that just was such a feat yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. What a great juxtaposition. Yeah. But of, I also um, like found style. folky pieces too. Like I'm a big mm-hmm. cottage core biatch. So I do like oh my that kind of stuff. What if you did like, um, we could write a, a film about like, like a tech horror about like cottage core and yes. make it like, I don't know, retro futurism. Yes. Scary. Yes. <laughs> that oh sounds insane. God. So I just found this couple on Instagram that live out of a van and they think it's the 1970s in Europe and they're adorable and they just drive around Europe. I love them. In their I love them. Beautiful 70s van. And I'm like, but what if that was a horror movie where it's like 70s cottage core out of a van? Oh my God. Yes. Oh my God. Or it's about like a couple that actually thinks it's like it's the 70s for them, yeah. but it's not for everyone else. Right. Ooh. And they're snatching bodies. Ooh. Yeah. This could go somewhere. We definitely have some ideas that yeah. we'll have to brew up. <laughs> we're we're multi-talented guys. Yeah. We Renaissance women. Yeah. You could say we are multidisciplinary. <laughs> well, thank you, Jolene, for thank answering you. all my questions that the yeah. people want answers to. Um, it's been a joy having you on the podcast, which I've had on every episode that I've done. <laughs> it's um, a joy being back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are we're really thrilled to uh be going into season two after you know we're giving you guys our little intro episodes of season two getting to know us and now we're gonna be diving into some wacky crazy fun topics for like a year it's gonna be amazing it's gonna be great yeah i'm excited for our next episode which is gonna be on the chainsaw award nominee movies so i think that's gonna be a fun one Gear up for that, you guys. We're so excited for the Chainsaw Awards. Mm-hmm. And we're very excited to be showcasing the films that are nominated and the amazing designers. 
uh, that are being recognized. It's um, it's going to be such a good time. I love the Chainsaw Awards. I'm so yeah. happy it exists. I am too. And I'm so glad that they've been broadcasting it. Absolutely. Like that's so much fun. Also, I was going to mention, I just learned that Spotify slash Anchor mm. has a feature where audience members can send a voice message into their podcasts. Fun. So if you guys want to leave us a voice message, whether it's something that you want us to play on the podcast and respond to or want to give us a suggestion or have thoughts on anything that we talk about, send us a little message. It's like, I think the limit's one minute, but um, super fun. I just sent in a little voice message to a podcast I love and I was like, wow. This is so fun. It's like I'm I'm talking to a new pal. Yeah. So, oh, that's um, so fun. We could do yeah. like, a, like a call-in segment and if yeah. they have questions or they want yes. life advice or career advice. Absolutely. Or food we, advice. Um, We're here. Or food advice. It. We have we give all kinds of advice, <laughs> whether it's good or not. Yeah. That's it's in the eye of the beholder. But yeah, <laughs> do you guys want to chat with us? Um, and you know, and if we do get a lot of uh folks calling in maybe we'll do like a whole little call-in mini-sode where we that would be thought about things or do like a little call-in you know segment beginning of each episode um but yeah for now um let us know if you have any thoughts on you know either season one episodes or what you want to see in season two and yeah we just are super excited to engage with you guys and uh keep this train coming we have some yeah. very exciting things in the works and um don't want to give too much away. Yeah. Well, your mind too much, but um, yeah, it'll be fun. It'll be a yeah. good time, and we're happy that you're here. Yeah. Um, but just no hurtful opinions. You can keep those to yourself. Yeah. We don't want to know. We don't no. want to know what you think about us if it's not yeah positive. Like if if my voice is too shrill, I don't want to hear about it. Yeah. No, it's fine. I might already know that information, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we might already know our flaws. <laughs> you don't need to tell us. Thank you. Um. Well, thank you guys. As always, for joining us, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at To Die For Podcast, that's D-Y-E, and on Twitter at Die Podcast. Next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die for.